Indian Creek girls basketball team uh, is at a place where the school has never been before, uh, super sectionals. That means there's eight teams left in 1A girls basketball in the state of Illinois, and they play tomorrow night uh, against Galena um, at, uh, at Oglesby. That's right. And, and uh, so that takes place tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. So be thinking of them. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if WSPY is going to be there, 107.1. Um, I'm guessing they're going to try to be there if they can. Also, in your bulletin uh, is this little 2016 ministry team uh, sheet. And I want to make sure I highlight this. Uh, it's double-sided. And these are all the things, all the places, at least a, um, a, a summary of them, of what's taken place this year uh, at our church. Remember, we're one church, four campuses, and so we are uh, rather busy and rather focused on serving God all over our area and all over the world. We give uh, well above 10% of all the money that comes into our congregation, comes into our church, uh, goes towards missions and, and that mission focus. And so this is a great little uh, sheet for you to understand this. There are some special meetings coming up on February 28th and March 6th over at the Sugar Grove campus. Uh, if you're interested in any of the uh, ones in, in the reddish color on the left-hand side on the back, uh, those are the, we, we are titling the international ones or the far to the ends of the earth. And we included uh, Alaska in that as well because that is a, a good distance away. Um, so I just want to make sure you're, you're remembering that as we continue to discuss Paul and how he was a missionary and how he affected so many people, uh, just as our prison team is going to affect people uh, in the next couple days. So we're moving on in our series, and today I wanted to start off with a story. Uh, there was a young man who was... Uh, trying to get a job, and he finally found a job with a cobbler. A cobbler is a guy who makes shoes. And, and so he found this job with the cobbler, and his role, th this, this cobbler was strict, uh, he, he was focused, but the, the boy's role was he had an iron uh, uh, mat, if you will, that laid over his lap, and he would take the soles after they were soaking wet and, and sized to perfection, and he would lay them on the iron, and he'd take a hammer, and he'd smash them and pound them out until they'd be perfectly dry. And then from there, the, the cobbler would nail them into the shoes uh, with great perfection. This cobbler was, was a man of God. He loved the Lord, and, and he took old Bible almanac pictures, and, and he posted them all over his shop. So anywhere you looked, you saw the Word of God. And, and he loved uh, talking about Jesus Christ to all of his customers. And as they would come in, he'd give them one of his tracks, and, and they would always uh, go away with some sort of uh, Word of God as they walked away. And many times, those people, they'd actually come back, and they'd come back, and they'd not, not to fix their sole of their shoe, but to fix the sole of their life. And they'd ask for more information from the cobbler. And the cobbler would oftentimes lead them to the Lord. 
And the young man, he was just tired because he had to work so much and the labor was so hard. And the problem was, was down the street, one block, the same place he walked past every day as he came to work and as he went home, there was another cobbler. And that cobbler, that cobbler was an entertainer. He would, he would always bring all the boys in and tell them dirty jokes and he'd get them going. And the, and the problem was, is when he would walk by there, not only was he interested in finding out what all the kids were laughing about, but he saw that cobbler take the soul out of the water and immediately nail it into the shoe, soaking wet. And as he struck each time, the water would splash all over. It's like, why am I doing all of this work? And so finally one, boy, the, one day the boy got courage and he, he walked into the, that other cobbler's shop and he said, sir, can I ask you a question? And, and the other guy looked at him and what? What do you want? And he goes, why are you just taking the soul out of the water and then nailing it right away? Don't you have to dry it first? He goes, no, they're going to come back a lot quicker if I do it this way. And the boy thought, well, that's a good idea. You're going to get more business that way. So he went back to his boss. I'll tell the rest of the story at the end. I'll keep you hanging there for one second. We'll pick up the rest of that. But today, we're going to talk about part two. Part two of what, what I'm calling, uh, of how Paul's teaching the Thessalonians and thus teaching us how to please God. How to please God. And uh, Let's get right into God's word, and then uh, we'll go into more detail. So if you're able to join me in standing, we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 9 through 12. Short, a short passage today, but extremely practical. 4, chapter 4, starting with verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Heavenly Father, it's your word, and we pray that your word is proclaimed. We pray that we hear from you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So Paul's he's making a slight change in his context. Uh, he, he's first talking about some things that we shouldn't do. And now this week, in, in these passages, he's, he's moving to some things that all believers should do. All people that, that trust Jesus Christ, what they should be doing. And I'm guessing, based on my reading uh, of the scriptures, that these questions are things that just kept coming up over and over with the Thessalonians, because Paul keeps addressing it over and over. Later on, we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly. There must have been some sort of problem with the emerging leadership going on there. 
Because he keeps addressing. Verse 14 of, of chapter 5 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. I think we can induct that, that some people, some people just, uh, they, they probably weren't working anymore. Uh, they probably stopped because there is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We've talked about that before. They're focused on the fact that Jesus Christ is probably going to be returning. So they just stopped. They just stopped what they were doing. What would you do? If you knew Jesus Christ was returning today at 4.23 this afternoon, what would you do in your life? You would be doing something maybe the same as this. Maybe you'd come to church and worship God. What if you thought he was coming next Friday... You were confident he was coming next Friday at 6.23 in the afternoon, in the early evening. Would you go to work this week? Probably not. You probably would stay home with your family or go tell other people that he's coming. And you'd be waiting and you'd be excited. And I think that's what Paul is dealing with here. They gave up everything, including daily responsibilities. Jobs, evangelism, overall effort. So Paul starts in right away. Right in these verses, he starts in, and he, and he is teaching them, and he's teaching us uh, how to please God. We must make sure that we love greatly. That's the first thing, that we love greatly. And this seems, for whatever reason, seems to be the theme every time I'm preaching, that, that I'm talking about love. That I'm talking about loving your neighbor and loving each other and loving uh, people, loving Jesus Christ more and more and more. And really, almost half, if not more than half of our passage today is talking about love. Let me remind you, 9 and 10, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And I see when I read the scripture, I'm identifying two, two main areas. First, they, they, they look at the Trinity's example. They look at the Trinity's example. Paul knew that the Thessalonians understood uh, what love was because of the example that God gave, because of Jesus Christ, who is the Son, and because of the Holy Spirit. Because when a believer trusts in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within them and that teaches them how to love. It truly does. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's, it's because God loved us. Because God loved us. Now we can love. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Again, God demonstrating his love for us which is an example how we are to love. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God has truly shown you and I how to love. And he, he showed us how to love even when we don't deserve it. And we haven't deserved it. You know, we often think that love is, is a two-way street. We all often think that, you know what, I'll love them, but they, they better be loving me. 
They better be treating me just right. And God literally shows us the example that that's not true. We don't have to love somebody just because they love us. We're called to love one another. And it's hard when somebody is being rude, somebody is being harmful to you in any way, to love them. But we're called to do that. We're called to love them no matter what, even if they don't deserve it. If you're a Christian, it's because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Because you're a temple of God. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Romans 5.5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Scripture is absolutely clear that the Spirit that lives inside of us will lead us to love, will teach us, will guide us to love other people. Paul was fully aware also that Jesus taught the apostles. And, and he taught them all the time. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another, just as I have loved you. He also says in chapter 15 of the same book, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. You see, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all examples of how we are to love other people. And we have to get that into our head. We have to understand that our love is, is not just something that is a feeling. It's not something that we just do because it feels good. It's a commandment that we follow, that we are to love one another, and we do it because of God's example. And it really helps us to understand uh, that it's all about God. It's all about God. I was talking to a friend a couple days ago. And, and, and this is a 60-year-old a man. And he, he comes and tells me, uh, he said that his son and his daughter-in-law got separated. And so we talked briefly and and then we prayed right there at the BP. And then, then there was tears. And then we talked some more. And, and we came out of that with, with, the, with the fact that it was his job as the father-in-law. His job just, it was just to get on his knees. That was what God wanted him to do, get on his knees be quiet, and love his daughter-in-law no matter what. That's tough. That's tough to do. Are you understanding this? Because some, some of you, maybe I'm speaking to you right now, some of you have a grudge against somebody right now. Some of you are holding something against somebody right now because they said something to you. Because they did something to you. Maybe they didn't do something for you. And you're holding a grudge and you can't let it go. 
And I think I'm telling you, you can't let it go. You have to give it to God. Then you can let it go. Then you can start loving them again. God wants us on our knees. We also know how to love greatly by echoing the instructions of Scripture. By echoing the instruction of Scripture. You know, we've read so many verses already today about love, but there's more. The apostles, they were taught over and over and over how to love, and then they went out and they taught people how to love from the things that they were taught. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Are you honestly trying to outdo, outlove the people that are around you? Do you have competitions in your head where you're, you're looking at your neighbor and you're thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outlove that neighbor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure, I'm going to mow their lawn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean off the snow in their, on, in their driveway. Pastor Dave and I, we were talking, we met this week, and we were talking about competing in, in pool and tennis and uh, uh, ping pong. We're going to have our own little Olympics. We're going to compete. And I want to beat him on everything. <laughs> and he's probably going to beat me on everything. But you know what? Are we doing that with our friendship? Are we trying to outdo each other on, on loving one another? How about your spouse? Are you actually competing with your spouse that you love her more or you love him more? Are you making it into a competition where you truly care about them more and more and more and you're showing them love to get those points? That's what I try to do with my 27-year-old wife. <laughs> Some of you who weren't here don't know what I'm talking about. but it, it is a competition in the sense of God wants us to be trying to outlove them. Because if two people are trying to outlove each other, what happens? Craziness. Love is awesome. Galatians 6.22, or 6.2, excuse me, says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What recent burdens have you been bearing with your brothers or sisters? I, I have two brother-in-laws that have come over to my house that we're moving into, and they have worked hard. They've been bearing my burden. Several of you have, have helped out in, in different ways, bearing my burden. I met a buddy a couple, couple days ago. I, uh, he needed some help. Gave me his laptop. His, his whole hard drive crashed. And, and all of his academic uh, files were on there for his professional career, and he didn't have a clean backup. And so I'm trying to bear his burden to resurrect his hard drive. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. When we love others earnestly, 
we have joy. When we love others earnestly, they have joy. And Christ is pleased. And Christ is pleased. Paul knew that the Thessalonians, they knew how to love. He knew it. He, he heard about it, and he heard about the examples uh, that they, they had been watching, and they learned about God, how, how the Trinity uh, loved them. They, they understood the teachings of the apostles. They understood what Paul was teaching. And, and we know that this love was demonstrated and that, remember, we heard about it earlier, that even all the places in Macedonia heard of the love of the Thessalonians. But Paul was urging them to do more. He was urging them to do more. He wanted them to excel. He wanted them to excel at loving each other more. Verse 10b says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. I I, I think that once we think we have loved somebody enough, if I thought that, okay, I've, I've reached my point with Sherry, I've loved her as, as much as I can. That's when the downward spiral starts happening. That's when the downward spiral starts happening. It's an ongoing. It just keeps extending. It keeps growing. We keep trying to love our friend or sibling or spouse more and more. And, and Paul had, I, I guarantee Paul had this conversation with them already. And Timothy probably talked to him also about it. Just keep loving people. Keep caring about them. And you've heard me say this from the pulpit. You've heard Pastor Dave say it. You've heard all of us say it. Just keep loving the people in this community. Keep caring about them. Some may come to this church. Some may go to another church. We care about the souls of lives, that they love Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to make sure that that this wouldn't stop, that they wouldn't be satisfied with where they were. You know, there's a beautiful thing. Our love... As humans, it can continue to grow. God's love is infinite. It it is is perfect. But our love, it just continues to grow. Our love uh, for each other, our love uh, for God's word, our love for Jesus Christ, it just keeps growing. Every day we we get to grow more and more. And that's, that's a pretty awesome thing. When you think you have no more ability in the tank to grow, that's when you get on your knees. And you ask God, and he helps you go farther. What does scripture say? These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul also knows that if we live differently... We will please God if we live differently. Paul understood that our lives must, uh, our, our lives change. Once we bow our knee to the Savior, our lives will be changed, and it has to change. We can't continue to do the things uh, that we shouldn't do. We can't continue to do the things, uh, not do the things that we should be doing. And, and earlier in the scripture, Paul talks about not being involved in sexual misconduct and and. and Pastor Dave touched on that. Now he adds a couple of other things. Verse 11a says, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Basically what what, what Paul's saying here is that each day we are to live our lives quietly 
and humbly. Quietly and humbly. Paul's very straightforward here, providing extremely simple instructions, which is nice. I always like when Scripture does that, when it gives us just nice, clean information. It's not hard. I don't, I don't have to be a theologian to understand it. And, and I know you guys are smart enough to understand this. But he's basically given us some duties that we have as Christians, so, some things we need to do. If we are Christians, we're not expected to be perfect. God knows that we're not perfect, and he loved us uh, while knowing that. And he cares about us, and he cares about us so much. But if you are a Christian, we, we need to serve God. And we need to continue to learn, continue to follow his ways. There's some simple life changes that, that maybe will allow yourself uh, to be closer with him. And maybe even give you more of an opportunity. I think this is what Paul's trying to get at in this whole scripture, this whole passage. He wants you to have more of an opportunity to share the gospel with other people. And these are some of the things you could do. They're, they're instructions that are simple, direct, and practical. You see, I think all of this goes back to sanctification. Remember that big word, sanctification? That's the process of, of, of living a perfect life of being fully sanctified. Paul wants to help the Thessalonians to understand that, that that's, that's the whole goal is, is when you are living for Christ, you're constantly improving your life towards Christ. You're constantly modifying things and, and learning how to honor and obey the king more and more. You see, I think most of us in this room, when I look around, most of us acknowledge uh, that there was a virgin birth. Most of us uh, uh, agree that there was a death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that the power of prayer is real and the reality of miracles of God. Uh, I think we, we agree of the importance of church and the reality of Satan and, and hell and the life of the Holy Spirit within the believer. In fact, nine there, there's a stat that says 9 out of 10 adults in the United States have a Bible. That's a huge stat. You know, it's the uh, most popular sold book. Yet, there's one thing that's usually in common. We believe one thing, and we act another. We believe one way, and we act another way. We do this too often. I think about what Pastor Dave said last week, and, and Dave and I talked about this, was the word remember. I've seen it in my head many times this week. Just the big word remember. Capital letters. I could see it large. I was going to put it up on the screen for you, but I'll let you use your own imagination. Remember. What was he talking about? Well, he's talking about remembering the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. And that's how you could, you could live differently. Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If you believe in, in the Word of God and you believe the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then, then allow it to change you. Allow it to affect your life today. Allow it to affect your actions. Live a quiet life. That's what Paul says. Paul tells them both here and in 2 Thessalonians to live 
a quiet life. What What does that mean? Well, if we're Christians, aren't we supposed to... Haven't haven't I... I think I've stood like right here. Shout from the rooftops that you love Jesus Christ. Tell everybody, right? I've said stuff like that. I love evangelism. I love bringing forth God's word. I love shouting and talking loud. I I don't think he's talking about that. I think the word quiet here actually means to keep your mouth shut. To not say anything. It means to rest. All of this done with peacefulness. For some reason, Paul has been addressing this with the Thessalonians. I'm not sure what the Thessalonians are doing, uh, but they're being loud about something. They're not relaxing. They're probably just being too rowdy. Paul instructed Timothy to tell the Ephesians to be quiet too. 1 Timothy 2.2 says, For kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This means that you don't get involved with with many conversations that, that, that aren't useful. We do that sometimes, don't we? Maybe on Facebook. We get involved with a lot of conversations that mean nothing. And maybe we, we share, we shout out our opinion. We, we give our own point. We're not living quiet lives a lot of times. We're, we're, getting, we're, we're telling everybody about everything. Live a quiet life. Paul also said that we should live a hum, humble life. Uh, we, we should live humbly. He said, listen to this, and to mind your own affairs. You know what he's saying? Mind your own business. But out of it. You're constantly probably in everyone's business because of social media. Social media has really provided a source for all of us to be in everyone else's business all the time. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat stories, Twitter, 24-hour news. We're in people's business all the time. I mean, you may be reading someone's post, calling your girlfriend, telling them, oh my goodness, did you see what Sally wrote on that post? And while that's happening, you're getting a, a Facebook message from your other friend, like, yeah, I'm talking with, with Sandra about Sally's post. It's unbelievable. And, and you're... I mean, it just spreads like crazy. You're not minding your own business. It's hard to. It is hard to mind your own business. But when you start getting into that business, you start gossiping. You start talking about that person. You start digging in and you start spreading things. And it's a waste of time. Basically, what, what's happening is you're just becoming a busybody. Do you, do you know that person who, if they hear about something, they go and tell everybody about it? 
If they hear about uh, someone is having a surgery, or they, they find out that someone is having a baby, or they find out that uh, someone did this or that, they post about it, and then they, they tell everybody about it. They, they call their friends. They're busybodies. They're getting into everybody else's business. They're, they're, they want to be involved in all the affairs, and that's not a good thing because it's, it's causing havoc where havoc doesn't need to be caused. They're not focusing on Jesus Christ. And you know what, people, Christians, we do that in the name of prayer a lot of times, don't we? I, I just want to pray for, for Susie because she's, she's having that issue at work where she was stealing something. Well, whatever it is, we, we, we get involved. And that's kind of annoying. And I'm preaching to myself right here, too. Because this is practical stuff. This is practical stuff that, that all of us just need to be reminded. And, and that's what Scripture has for us today. Finally, God is pleased when we labor tirelessly. Paul says in verses 11b and 12, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. See, all Christians, all Christians need to be focused. They need to be focused on loving Christ and on walking unto the King. And we, we as Christians, we need to be focused on meaningful tasks meaningful activities that we are fully involved with. We can't get tired of, of working. We can't get tired of it. Working to support our family, working to give to the church and helping the needy, working to cultivate the ground and to feed each other. Work is a good thing. Isn't work a good thing? You know, sometimes when you find out work is such a great thing, is when you don't have work. You're like, man, I just want to work. Too many times in history, people get lazy, and they focus on other things, and they just stop working. You know, there's several stories. Uh, Brother Camping, you guys have heard of Brother Camping, some of you have, uh, but there's several others others as well. In the 1800s, there was another one, uh, but uh, where they predicted the last, the day Jesus was going to return. And what happened, they gave specific days, and what happened is, is that people would literally quit their jobs, and we talked about this briefly earlier, they'd quit their jobs, they'd sell everything they had, and then they'd invest that money into the church or whatever they were doing, whether it was with tracts or Bibles, and they'd just give it away, and that's all their focus was. And there was a guy who was following Brother Camping, and, and he gave away everything. And he, had a, he was like a 24-year-old, and he, had a, a, he was working for a Fortune 500 company. I mean, just a high-end job. And he gave it up, and he got so far into it, it he was almost too deep into it, where it had to be true. It had to be true that Jesus was going to return, and he gave up everything, and he stopped working. And all he did was just prepare and wait. And then 
Jesus didn't return. And now what? We need to be involved in meaningful tasks that, that are focused on moving forward. What Paul's saying here is, is he's telling the Thessalonians, he's saying, hey, hey, don't stop doing your everyday jobs. Don't stop doing the things that you're doing every single day. Don't stop uh, caring about your neighbor. Don't stop taking care of your garden. Don't stop cleaning your house. Don't stop taking the kids to school. Keep going. Keep working. Keep loving people. Jesus, yeah, he's coming back. But you know what? Jesus doesn't, didn't even know when he would come back. He said only the Father knows. So until that point, let's just keep working. And when we work, we should focus on long-term achievements. Long-term achievements. We aren't just loving people and living differently and laboring hard because we want to get some worldly benefit. That's not, that's not our goal, just so we can get more stuff. We, that's not why we do these things. So we can earn more stuff. No, we're doing these things because it benefits our ministry. It benefits the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're able to evangelize because of what we do. You see, the Greeks, they loved hearing this. They, they valued work. They valued labor. They valued uh, kindness and all these things. That was a great value to them because then they were going to be able to preach to them. If they sat around not doing anything and just waiting for God, they would be devalued in their society. And same here. We need to be willing to get dirty and work hard, no matter what the situation, as we're working unto the Lord. John MacArthur he said, how does the church get relevant? He asked that question. How in the world do we get relevant? How could we as a church, Village Bible Church in Sugar Grove, how could we re, uh, be relevant? And that's a crucial question. Is it, is it by contemporary music? Is it by Tom kicking it up a notch? How about us throwing a, a little play up here in a musical? Is that how we become relevant to to the Indian Creek area is by us giving away some special prizes if you come to church, doing, doing special things. No. So how do we become relevant? Most relevant thing that a church can do, John said, was, was to live the life of a Christian in every dimension of daily life. Every dimension of daily life. How you're reading, what you're reading, what you're watching, how you're talking, what, what you're doing on a daily basis, who you're hanging with, who you're calling. When we close that gap between our faith and our feet, that's crucial. And that's what makes us relevant. Remember the story we started off with about the young man who was at the cobbler shop and he saw the, the other guy. He saw the other guy 
He, he was nailing in the soles, soaking wet. So he went and told, told his boss. And he said, oh, I think I have a new idea. We, we could take the soles just like the guy down the street and we could, we could take the soles and we could nail them in all wet and I don't have to smash them anymore and dry them out. And his boss, Mr. Mackey, he opened up his Bible at that moment. And he read a passage to the young man and it said, Whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. He said, son, I don't do cobble shoes just for 50 cents, 75 cents that I get from my customers. I do this strictly for the glory of God. I expect to see every shoe stacked up in a pile when I die and see all those shoes at the judgment seat. And I don't want the Lord to say to me that day, man, you did a poor job. You really did a poor job. You did not do your best here. What I want to hear him say is, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm, I'm here at church sometimes in, in my office there, and I hear whistling going on. And it's from our brother Bill as he's cleaning the toilets. I was looking for Jacob yesterday at, at our house because I had to take him to a basketball game and, and thinking he might not be doing something. And he's crawling underneath a hay rack, picking up sticks so he can take him to the burn pile without being told. Do everything to the glory of God. Do everything at your best effort with all that you have. The cobbler said, he went on to explain that some men are called to preach and some men are called to fix shoes, to put in new soles. And the only and that only as he did this well would that testimony be counted by God. You see, we're all in the business of fixing souls. Every one of us. From Eric to Maddie to Nathan to Tom to Doc up front to myself. We all, we're all in the business of fixing souls. With God's help, are you willing to love one another more and more and more and more and more? Trying to outdo each other? That's a challenge. Try to outdo each other in love. Are you willing to live differently, making sure that you're, you're living a life that's quiet, and that's humble? Trying to stay out of other people's business. Are you willing to serve God through your work just as the cobbler did? Knowing that God has you exactly 
where he wants you right this very second. Right this very time in your life. He has you exactly where he wants you. God doesn't only want you to think about him just today. He doesn't want you to be pondering these things just today. But he wants all other six days of the week. He wants all of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful that we can serve you. We're thankful for the opportunity that we could serve others. Would you teach us how to serve others? Would you teach us how to love other people? Uh, would you give us the um, encouragement and, and the ability and the excitement to try to outdo other people in love? Would you help us to live differently? Uh, we, we really need help with that, God, uh, to stay out of other people's business, to live lives that are quiet and humble and focused on you, focused on praising you and worshiping you, not giving up any uh, opportunity for our testimony to serve you and, and to share your gospel. Lord, would you give us the energy to work, to work for our normal day uh, as, as a way of honoring you, whether it's fixing shoes or, or picking up garbage or delivering mail or, or serving at the local restaurant or preaching your word. Give us opportunities, Lord, to be involved in fixing souls. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for your sacrifice. We're so thankful for your resurrection. It's in your name we pray. Amen.